Hi, this is the official podcast of Riverside International Church in Lisbon. Riverside is an international, contemporary, caring, and Christ-centered community. Our vision is to significantly impact the country of Portugal and the regions beyond with the gospel. Thank you for listening to us, and we hope that your life will be impacted by these teachings. God bless. Good morning. Oh, that was a weak one. You're right, Doris. I don't know what was up with them. I don't think they had breakfast or something. Good morning. Oh, that's a lot better. A lot better. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be in the presence of God, and I, I really pray and I hope that even throughout this um, worship time that you already uh, felt the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Uh, it, Sundays are such a, an amazing day, right? I love Sundays. It's the beginning of the week, and I think it's so special for us even as, as believers, as Christians, many of us, that we make uh, an effort to every Sunday to begin our weeks with God. It's a beautiful thing that we do, and it has a sense. And we spoke about this a uh, couple of weeks ago to the people here. Uh, when we give the God the first, the beginning of our week, we are in fact giving him our, our whole week. We are saying to God, God, you are the most important person in my life, and I want to give everything to you. So we make this effort, and uh, we wake up really early Sunday morning, but we really pray and hope that we have this beautiful encounter with God alongside God's people. And I really pray that God will once again surprise us with his word. We'll speak into our hearts. Uh, so last week, Gabby introduced us to a new message series called God is Stranger. Now, we didn't come up with this title. Uh, it's based on a book by Krish uh, Kendaya, whom Gabby met when she went to the Global Leadership Summit in Chicago. Um, and we started reading this book, and it's ve very interesting because it digs into passages and stories of the Bible that many times we skip due to our difficulty in understanding them. And last week, Abby spoke about Gideon, and not just about his victories and the good stuff that happened in his life, but also about his missteps and some blatant wrongdoings. So, what do we normally do when we encounter these really odd and awkward stories in the Bible? Most Christians, they shield their faith against these hard questions, against these sinful characters, and even a God that does so many strange things that we have a hard time understanding. And we conclude that God is stranger than anything we've ever imagined. But it's in these moments, when we go into these stories, that we'll be able to experience something that is very beautiful and profound in our spiritual lives. Growth. Maturity. We can't think the same, and we can't be the same when God reveals who he is through his word. And my prayer is that this will happen with us today the same way I believe that Gabby um, shared last week. It did the same to us. So today we'll, we will unfold the story of another man whose story tends to baffle us completely. And his name is Jacob. How many of you know about this character in the Bible, Jacob? Okay, what do you know about Jacob? Wrestle with God? Sorry? A deceiver. Wow. You don't have a good impression about this guy, right? 
Anything else? Well, it will go into his story, but you, you're quite accurate. This is how the prophet Hosea describes Jacob in Hosea chapter 12, verse 3. It says, In the womb he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. So this is a very unique and not so flattering description of this man. And his name really means holder of the heel. Because when him and his twin brother Esau were in their mother's womb, they were already fighting with each other. And this actually um, continued out throughout their lifetimes. There was this tension and rivalry between them. And Esau was the first one to be born. But Jacob's hand at that moment was grasping Esau's heel. And with a name like this, I can imagine everyone uh, telling Jacob at dinner parties, Jacob, that is a funny name. And he will have to go onward and every time explaining his very unusual name, the holder of the heel. And my brother's name is Hosea. And I don't know if you know, this is a very odd name, at least in Portugal. So I can't count the number of times my brother had to explain to people why his name is Hosea, what is the meaning of Hosea, and I bet Jacob was exactly the same. Oh, the holder of the heel, very interesting story. Not so much, not such a pretty name. Um, but we know that Jacob, from a very young age, he was a fighter, and he was a troublemaker. He always struggled with human relationships and with his relationship with God. He lived in a constant tension with God, like in a spiritual tug of war. He wanted to grasp everything he could out of life while God was trying to grasp Jacob's life and do something uh, better out of it. So if you define your life with God as tense, as complicated, when everyone seems to be in a bliss with God, everything is so beautiful with God, then you will probably relate a lot better with Jacob than any other person in the Bible. And Esau grew up to be um, a man's man in the ancient world, his brother. He was a skillful hunter. While Jacob usually stayed at home, he was probably a bit more intellectual, uh, a more quiet personality. And this is what the Bible has to say about his family in Genesis 25, 28. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, this is definitely not a picture-perfect family, and it's a good thing that they didn't have cameras back then to take family pictures, or they would have been like one of those really awkward pictures when no one really speaks with one another and they had to pretend they, they go alongside so well with uh, each other. Jacob grew up in a dysfunctional family. And I don't know if you grew up in a dysfunctional family, but this is the reality he had. From a very young age, he had a dad who didn't show him proper love and acceptance for who he was. And while his mom tended to side with him, it only contributed to aggravate all the rest of his relationships throughout his life. So why is God even telling us a story of a broken family? Why would God want anything to do with them? And maybe you are here today and you think that your story is an indication that God is far away from you. Or that your life will never amount to something because of your past, because of your upbringing. But through Jacob's life, God is showing us that having a messed up life, having a messed up upbringing does not disqualify us from God's plans. In fact, I believe that's exactly what God loves to do. 
He loves to take someone that is so messed up by nature and by nurture and do something beautiful and amazing with their lives. God is a perfect God who loves and cares for imperfect human beings. Recently, Gabby and I were, we were at the dinner party, a small one, um, and as we were preparing to leave, I was holding Jade, and we were holding each other, and one of the couples at the dinner party saying goodbye, they just shouted, goodbye, perfect family, and wow, that's quite a compliment. I, re I think I have the cutest family ever. I mean, we're, we go so, so well alongside each other, but you only have to look at our parents, you only have to look at our past to see that we are far away from being a perfect family. My dad was an orphan from a very young age. He grew up in orphanage, and when he left, he was completely lost in his life. He joined the military, but his life was only about drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, you name it. I know that Gabby's dad is quite about the same. From a very young age, he was lost. He was beaten by his father so many times that he can't even count anymore. He, he had to join the, the war in South Africa where he, anything that was normal with him stopped being normal because of drugs, because of violence, messed him up completely. So when you look at our lives, when you look at our past, it's the perfect example that God loves the unqualified. God loves the underdogs. God loves those that life has messed them up so bad. But God loves a challenge. And God never stops loving people. And if you think that you are too messed up for God to do anything with your life, you're completely wrong. Because what the Bible tells us, what our testimonies tell us, is that God is still willing to work in your life and do something new. Because God is a God that humbles himself to the point of coming and relating to imperfect human beings. And maybe today it's time for you to find out a little bit more about this God that loves you in your imperfections. Now, because Jacob was the second son, his life status was very inferior to his brothers. The firstborns they were usually the leaders among the siblings, and they were entitled to receive a double blessing, a double portion of the father's inheritance. Just by a couple of seconds, Jacob's life was dictated to be number two. He would never amount to be something as his brother would become. And this is what the Bible says and continues on saying about their relationship. So we're going to read in Genesis 25 verses 29 to 34, and I'm going to ask. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. That is why he was also called Adam, red. Jacob replied, first sell me your uh, birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despite his birthright. Thank you. 
Can you see the contrast in this story? Esau cared so little about his birthright that he sold it for soup. I mean, of all the food that you could sell your birthright soup. While Jacob cared so much about having the birthrights that he would take any opportunity, even if such a small opportunity in order to get it. And some time had passed, and their father Isaac was getting quite old, and his eyesight was not the same. He was becoming very weak, so he couldn't see properly. So the Bible says that he called Jacob, his firstborn, to bless him before he died. Now, this is where the story gets really complicated because Isaac messed up big time. Jacob was part of a dysfunctional family. And Isaac was, he did really messed up. Not only he wasn't about to die anytime soon, because this happened in chapter 27, and he only died about 20 years later in chapter 35. So this is the living proof that men, they, they don't know how to be sick. Anytime we get sick, we think it's the end of the world. We're going about to die. So let's gather the family because I'm, I'm going to die. No, it's not like that. And Isaac was completely overdoing it. But that's not just the point that he messed up. But he didn't even call his other son Jacob to be blessed. And we might think, oh, but, but only Esau was the firstborn. But actually, Jacob and even his son later, Joseph, they called, before they died, they called all of their children to receive a blessing. So Isaac wasn't really thinking properly. Isaac didn't have the heart for Jacob the same way that he had for Esau. And, and Jacob's life was scarred by favoritism all the time. I don't know if you had this in your family, but these scars are really deep. It's really hard if you have a, a parent that does not approve of you, that only criticizes you, that doesn't treat you fairly. And Isaac asked Esau to go hunt some wild game and prepare it for him before uh, he got his blessing. And while he went, the Bible says that Jacob and his mom, they launched this really tricky maneuver. So they prepared another meal while Jacob was away, and they disguised Jacob as Esau. And they completely fooled Isaac and, 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 and uh, Esau. And um, so J uh, Jacob got the first blessing, um, the firstborn blessing instead of Esau. And this was the first case of identity theft that is ever registered. It's exactly here in the Bible. And when Esau and Isaac found out what happened, the Bible says it was already late. The blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob couldn't be undone. So Esau got so angry, got so upset that he planned to kill Jacob. So in order to continue on living, Jacob had to run away from home, from family, from his past. And he got himself to a point that he was completely alone. He found himself traveling in the desert to hopefully reach his uh, uncle's home that was about 1,500 kilometers away. If this is not a desperate move, I don't know what it is. You would only go through such a journey if you were desperate and you had no one else to turn to. And this is exactly the point that Jacob got because of his desperate search for approval and blessing. 
But the Bible says that in that desert, at night, God showed up, but in a very, very strange way. So we're, we're going to read Genesis 25, verses 11 to 17. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending from it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust on, of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and you will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Amen. So it was when Jacob had nothing else in life, other than just having a stone to lay his head, that God shows up in this very strange vision to let him know that he still had a plan for his life. That he should, stop, he should stop taking away the blessings from others because God himself wanted to bless him in such a way that he would not just be blessed, but he would be a blessing to others. The whole world would be blessed by him. And God's, God even promises that he would watch over him and would never, ever, ever leave him. I find it so interesting that God even presented himself as God of Isaac, even when Isaac didn't do a good job letting Jacob know that even more important than his blessing was going to be having God's blessing in his own life. If Isaac had done a good job explaining this to Jacob, maybe Jacob wouldn't have done the things he did. Maybe he wouldn't feel as rejected. Maybe he wouldn't go into desperate measures in order to get something from life. But Isaac did a bad job in that. But God is not resentful and rejecting Isaac because of it. Because God knows how flawed we are. God presented himself as a God that does not demand perfection. Not from Isaac, nor from Jacob, but he's just eager for relationship. It's in these moments in life when I believe we, we like to cry out, where are you, God? How many times we've cried out before, God, God, where are you? I'm alone. I'm in this desert. I don't know where to turn. But the Bible says that God is right there. It was in that desert that Jacob was able to realize that God was, in fact, in that place. But he was just not aware of it. And how many times do we accuse God of being absent? of being far away from us. Isaiah 57 says the following, I live in a high and holy place, says the Lord, but I also live with people who are humble and sorry for their sins. 
I will give new life to those who are humble in spirit. I will give new life to those who are sorry for their sins. It says that God is willing to meet us in the darkest of the deserts in life, not just to bring us some comfort, but to stay with us. What God wants to be in our lives in such a way that more important than having some comfort and offering that kind of uh, peace in our lives, He wants to bring Himself to the table. God is a God of relationships. He wants to live with us, share His life with us. We never have to be alone when there is a God who is willing to meet us regardless of where we find ourselves at. And maybe you feel exactly like Jacob. You, don't have, you have nothing, you have no one, you have nothing to turn to. But God is right there, waiting for you, willing to have this relationship with you and remind you that He still has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jacob eventually arrived in his uncle Laban's home. And as usual... Jacob struggled with his uncle Laban's ways, which Laban, I think it was in the family, in the blood or something, because Laban was equally deceitful. He, he tried to deceive uh, Jacob in so many ways. But after 20 years of working alongside his uncle, working hard, the Bible says that Jacob was getting the blessings that he wanted all along. He got a big family. He got many children large flocks, servants, camels, donkeys. According to the Bible, he was exceedingly prosperous. And then God said to Jacob in Genesis 31.3, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. I find it so interesting. When Jacob was... A kind of already some point in his life where he was experiencing blessings, where he was working so hard and getting something out of life, God again changes everything and tells him to go back to his family, back to his relatives, and he would be with him. Even though Jacob was being so blessed, God knew he had an issue, a matter in his past that he needed to deal with. God wasn't just going to let it alone. And the Bible says that Jacob was obedient. He started packing all his belongings and got on his way. But he understood the risk of going back to his brother Esau. He could still be extremely angry with Jacob to the point of killing him and even his whole family. So this is what the Bible says that Jacob did in Genesis 32 verses 7 to 11. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. <laughs> he thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. 
Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. Thank you. So this is the first moment in this whole story about Jacob's life that we see that something started to change in Jacob. It is the first time that we see him in great fear and crying out to God. And tragedy has this ability to open our eyes to our own need of God. Tragedy allows us to really realize what matters in life. How many of you have traveled by plane? Okay. How many of you caught turbulence at some point? Wow. I did. It was horrible. I will never forget about it. Because we have so much time, so much free time on an airplane, right? Especially those who come from Asia, it's like... 11 hours, 12 hours sometimes on an airplane, you have enough time to think about your life and to plan stuff. And you think about uh, the presents that you forgot to buy. Maybe you have to buy something at the airport. You think about your next holidays, where you want to go. But all of a sudden, in your quietness, turbulence starts coming. And you start shaking. And what happens is you stop thinking about the holidays you stop thinking about the presents you forgot to buy, and you start thinking about your family. You start thinking about your life and what's going to happen if you died on that flight. Because tragedy has that ability of making you think about the things that really matter in life. And this is exactly the kind of shift that we see in Jacob's life. He was never so afraid as he was in this moment. Because he started caring about other people other than himself. He was starting to care about his family. And it's the first time in his story, in his life, that we see him crying out to God. And many times we, we are like that. We react the same way that he did. C.S. Lewis, he said the following. We can't ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Before this, we see a Jacob that was on and off with God, having his good moments, his bad moments, moments where God was present and, and, and uh, promising him that he would be blessed, that he would be taken care of. And, and Jacob really liked those moments. But after that whole story, we see a Jacob that was building his life and not asking God for anything and not putting God at the center of his life. And that's exactly what happens to us. Many times we choose to live our lives. Now we're having God at the center. But when tragedy strikes... When something we, unexpected happens, we are the first ones to come to church. We are the first ones to cry out to God and ask for prayer. We are the first ones to say, God, where are you? I need you. I'm desperate for you. And sometimes God intervenes. But very frankly, sometimes God does not intervene. Because life is not just about God coming into our rescue and changing all the bad decisions and consequences of our wrongdoings. But we do the, the right thing. We should cry out to God. But not only cry out to God when life 
is a mix of tragedies happening, but coming to God and making God the center of our lives, even when we do not feel like, do, like to do it. We have to make God the center of our lives because there is no other place that God deserves in us. He deserves to be the center. He deserves that all, all our life choices, everything that we feel, every single way that we should think about life needs to come from God and not from ourselves. And the Bible promises us that it's never too late to invite him in and to be at the center of our lives. But the story doesn't end there. So let's read in Genesis 32 and verses 22 to 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is break, daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. So once again, it was when Jacob was in such a vulnerable moment in his life that God decides to show up again, and in a very strange way again. And for some reason, Jacob found himself fighting with a man that he recognized to be God himself. And when Jacob asks this man his name, uh, he is stating the fact that God is not the person he expected God to be. And even when God comes this close to us, sometimes it's really hard for us to discern and to realize that God is right there because he is stranger than we ever imagined. And let's just get into this part that is so strange that God was fighting with Jacob and Jacob was fighting with God. And I can only compare this to maybe a, a father or uh, fighting with his son, with a kid. Have, do you have, uh, have you ever had small children or you have nephews? I have a nephew, a very young nephew called David. Uh, he's one of the strongest and, and, and stubborn human beings that has ever lived. But he loves to fight. And he loves to fight me. And I, I'm like three or four times his size, but he still likes to fight with me. He thinks that he has a chance, or he likes to believe that he has a chance. And what do we do as grown-ups, as adults, with all the strength? I mean, it would only take Two seconds, and he would be gone, against the wall, forever gone. But what do we do? We fight with him. We humble ourselves to a point where 
he actually believes that he is fighting and he has a chance to, to win. And you know what? Sometimes I let him win because of his effort, because of his passion, because of his persistence. I let him win and he feels good about himself. That's the only way I can think of Jacob fighting God in this way. Not because Jacob was ever going to win, but God in some way, he allowed Jacob to win and he got his blessing. He was chasing, the Bible says, for another blessing. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob had been chasing blessings all his life, but now he wants an even greater blessing. But the Bible says that for that to happen, Jacob needed to change. Because Jacob, as you said, was synonymous with deceiver. With a lifetime of cheating and grabbing. And God knew Jacob didn't need a new blessing. He needed a new life. Jacob needed a new destiny. Jacob needed a new identity. And Jacob asked God to save him from Esau... But for that to happen, God had to save Jacob from himself first. And we are quick to, to ask God for what we believe we need. But God knows exactly what we need. And many times it's quite different from what we ask for. Later on, his wrong brother Esau accepted him back as a long-lost brother instead of seeing him only as a target for revenge. But in order for this to happen, Jacob had to lose something in order to win. The Bible says that he had to lose his old name for a new one. He had to allow God even to wound him forever so that he could start walking differently in life. This was the only way that he could become everything that God wanted him to be. Not only blessed, but to be a blessing. And I want to call the worship team to come as we finish and as we apply these principles into our lives. Remember this. God is a God who fights, is a God who wounds, is a God who sometimes he lets us win, but he always helps us understand who we really are. And even more important than that, he is a God that wants to, he, that wants to tell us who he wants us to become. He cares about us as a whole. Not just individual circumstances, not just about certain moments in our lives when we cry out to him. God cares for us as a whole. He cares about your heart. He cares about your pain. He cares about your understanding. He cares about the way that you feel and you treat others. He cares even about the people that are around you at all moments. And he cares for all of them. And like Jacob, we struggle with God's identity because we struggle with ours too. Many times we don't know who we are. We're trying to find who we are in life. Many times we carry a past that we regret 
a past that scarred us, a past with so many people that had misled us, that have fooled us. We've all have made mistakes and we are in desperate need of change to happen in us first. But what I love about Jacob's story and what I love about the Bible is that we learn that God is the one that is able to give us a new identity. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus came so that you and I, we could have a new identity. And my identity now is in Christ. It's not just Christ. It's in Christ. Because I am found in Him. I found who I am in Jesus Christ. That is the whole point and the whole reason that He came into this world. To save us from ourselves. We, we many times we say Jesus died for our sins, it's true. He died so that we could have eternal life. Yes, it's true. But that wouldn't matter if He didn't come to save us from ourselves. Because our hearts can be the most desperate place where we can find ourselves at. But the same way that God showed up before Jacob in that desert, at that horrible night, where he didn't have anything and anyone, that God was willing to meet with him and give him a new identity and giving him a new purpose, giving him a new blessing so that he would not just be blessed but be a blessing to many. I believe that this morning many of us need to come before God and ask for this new identity. Many of us do not define ourselves as in Christ. And many times we don't even fully understand what it is, but it's simply this. It's telling Jesus, Jesus, I don't have anyone else to turn to, but I believe that you are God himself who came to give me new life. And when we embrace this truth, when we accept this promise, and we invite God to be at the center of our lives, he starts changing things. The same way he changed things with Jacob's life. He started doing new things. And this promise in 2 Corinthians, it's really true. All things have become new. And many of us here have experienced the new life that God wants to give us. If you're tired of your old life, then you need a new life. And that new life can only be found in Jesus. And he wants to help you start fresh. But remember this. When we receive a new identity, we need to walk differently from those around us. Jacob got this reminder not only in his name, but also in his flesh, his hip. For the rest of his life, Jacob had to start walking differently. And Jacob, I don't believe that Jacob was expecting this. But this is what wounds do to us in life. Because of our past, because of our experiences and the things that even God does in us, we have to start walking differently. To start walking in a new life, 
sometimes God has to wound us. Sometimes God needs to take some things out. Sometimes we need to let go of a few privileges, of a few things that we hold dear to us. But the Bible says that God only wounds us in order to save us. And maybe what you and I are experiencing lately in life is nothing other than God wanting to change us in order so that we would walk closely to Him. It's better to walk wounded to a better destination than walking perfectly and ending up in a dead end. And I'm grateful for the circumstances. I'm grateful for the blessings, but I'm also grateful for the wounds and the hardships in life and my past that is not as pleasant, but I'm grateful for God, to God because it allows me to walk in God's presence and recognize that everything that I am, everything that I have comes from Him and goes back to Him. We hope that God has touched your heart with the message that He wants to tell us. If you would like to be updated with the things that are happening in our church, you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Riverside Lisbon. Thank you for listening.